Hello, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast, where I talk to developers who are also into business of one form or another, and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you're a developer who wants to get into business, or if you're already in business and you want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 25 with Jamin Holmgren. One quick announcement before we get started today. I've just embarked on a new project with my friend and collaborator Otto Kukic to build a platform to make it easier for event speakers to find and apply to tech events. We're calling it speak.dev, and you can find information about it at the web address speak.dev. So what's the deal with this project? Well, one thing that I love doing in the tech industry is to speak at different events. So whether that's conferences or meetups, I love to travel, get on stage, and ultimately meet and connect with new people in the industry. But finding events to apply to hasn't always been the easiest. I speak at about a dozen events per year, and I often find myself scouring about five or six different resources to get info on events. Then I need to make sure I apply to them before the deadline, I need to make sure that I don't double book myself, and this has always been kind of a pain and is something about the process that I haven't enjoyed a whole lot. It turns out that Otto has had the same pain when it comes to applying to conferences and meetups as well. Otto is a seasoned event speaker, and he actually does that for his job. He works in developer relations. So he's going to conferences and meetups all the time, and he has to go through the exact same stuff, except for him, it is a lot worse because he's doing a lot more of it. He and I have talked to a lot of people in the industry who have the same kind of pain, and so that's why we decided to do something about it. And that's why we are building speak.dev. The ultimate goal is to help event speakers find and manage their events better and just generally make it easier and more enjoyable for them to do more speaking. Now the cool part about this project is that we're doing pretty much everything out in the open. So that means we're live streaming almost everything we do from planning and organizing to actually writing the code and everything in between. So if you'd like to follow along with us and you'd like to get notified about when we go live, head over to speak.dev and sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is speak.dev, so all spelled out, D-O-T, dev. And we've also got the same handle on Twitch, which is where we'll be live streaming. We'd love it if you followed along with us, and we hope to see you there. My guest today is Jamin Holmgren. Jamin is a co-founder and the CTO of Infinite Red, an app design and development studio specializing in UX, UI design, and React Native. He's also the organizer of Chain React Conf, a two-day conference focusing on React Native in Portland, Oregon. Jamin, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Ryan. It's really nice to be on your, on your show. Glad to have you here. And I'd love to chat about all things agency life. Uh, you run a great agency, Infinite Red. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on uh, you know, what, what it's all about to be um, running an agency, how things have changed over the years since you've started your agency. But uh, before we get there, maybe just tell us about Infinite Red, a little bit more uh, detail about what you offer around React Native. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we're, we're definitely most known for our React Native work. Um, we have kind of four teams, though. Uh, we, we have a design team, as you mentioned before, that does uh, mostly software design, UI, UX. And uh, uh, it's, um, it's, it's a smaller piece of our, of our company, but definitely a really important part. 
And then we have a, a front-end team. That's our biggest team. And I used to kind of divide things up with web and mobile because we used to be, you know, have a web team and a mobile team. That's no longer the case uh, with React and React Native. We just call it a front-end team, and they focus on React and React Native. And they do. That's our biggest team. We do a lot of work, both on the web, but we're more known for our native uh, work. And then we have a back-end team that does, um, I guess at this point, mostly Node and uh, serverless, but we've also in the past historically done Ruby on Rails. We still do a fair amount of Ruby on Rails for some clients. Uh, we've even done some Elixir. Um, okay. And then, uh, yeah, that, that, and that's my background. I was, I was a back-end developer before I kind of moved into the front-end with, with React. And uh, then we have a fourth team that's more R&D, and that's headed by one of my business partners, Gant Laborde. Um, and that uh, that side of things is uh, we're, we're currently uh, focusing on AIML. Mm, okay. And we're also doing a little more kind of uh, training, like developer, um, you know, we, we have a thing called Infinite Red Academy, and we're, we're doing courses and, and whatnot over there. That's still fairly new. Uh, he's kind of heading up the creative side on that. Gotcha. So you, it sounds like you've got your hand in many different uh, places. How big is the company in terms of uh, the staff that you've got? We're, it depends on how you count it, but at any given time, we have about 30 people uh, working on projects. Uh, so that's about the size that we are. Um, we were distributed across mostly North America, mostly US and Canada. We have some people in, uh, we have one person over in South Korea, and then we have a couple over in, in Europe, one even in uh, South Africa right now. Um, but we kind of draw from uh, draw from the edges a little bit here and there as we need uh, need people for projects. But the core of our team is in mostly U.S., some in Canada. Gotcha. Okay. And I guess, I mean, from what I've heard, hiring happens a little bit more easily if you can keep it to North America. Um, of course, if you can broaden to around the world, you've got more options in terms of the talent right. you can bring in. But but I, ha I have heard that it, it becomes challenging hiring-wise at that point. Have, have you found that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we're obviously fully remote uh, to be able to do this, um, but there is some benefit in having people in close time zones. You know, yeah. time zone is a big thing. Um, there's kind of two different ways people do remote. There's there's a, totally async, and you can just hire from anywhere. And then there's more synchronous, where you do have like a daily stand up or a daily, yeah. you know, those types of things. And you can really only do that if they're in a reasonable time zone that has a a good overlap. So for the most part, we've we've stuck to our time zones. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that can be a little bit of a challenge for sure. Um, and then, you know, obviously you have, uh, uh language uh, barriers as well in some, yeah. some parts of the country or in the, some parts of the world, I should say. So, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, overall we're, we're very happy with being a full remote company and, and just kind of exploring what it looks like because we don't really have any, um, really strong models for this type of business. Right. Okay. And so uh, you, you mentioned before we started that you've been doing this for a while, uh, 15 years, if I recall. Um, yeah. What, what have you seen that's uh, changed over the course of that time in terms of like how you approach the business, I guess? Um, yeah. Are, are the ways that you attract clients, that you go looking for clients, has that changed at all? Um, I suppose the longer you exist as a company, maybe the more your name gets out there, maybe the more inbound you've got. But I guess I, I wonder, like, the, this, um, the, the availability of work that's out there, the number of clients that, potential clients that are out there, has that increased? Uh, are there just more agencies that are filling certain needs? Like, how has all that changed over the years? Yeah, that's that's a really fascinating 
topic, Ryan. I, I love the, I love talking about this because I have kind of sat through several eras, I would say, of of software development or phases almost. Um, yeah. And the you know the, when I first got started, it was my personal network. Uh, you right. know, I, I I had a fairly fairly strong personal network. My dad knew a lot of people. I knew a lot of entrepreneurs. My dad was an entrepreneur. He was in construction. He knew a lot of construction people who owned mm. uh, small businesses. And so my first clients were basically building websites for people who either didn't have them. You know, this is mm. 2005, so 15 years ago. They didn't have websites back then. I mean, that sounds weird to think of right now that yeah. a business would exist without a website. But for sure, at the time, it was like, do we put money into a website or should we continue to put it into the yellow pages? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. Hey, and it's funny yeah. to think back that like even to that. So 2005, 10 years after the web gets started, a lot of businesses still don't have websites. A lot of businesses are still looking at yellow pages as a viable way to right. market themselves. It, but it seems 2005 in, in my memory seems like it's almost recently, but yeah, it's 15 yeah. years ago now. But uh, anyway, it go is. On. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was kind of a, it was, it was a good time to get started because it was, we had just gotten past sort of the point where people wondered if doing a website was even worth it at all. And people right. were starting to decide, yeah, it's worth it. And, but then they didn't know anybody and the few programmers out there who were doing websites were very busy. Hmm. Um, so, uh, I actually was working at a construction company in, in their office doing, um, like uh, actually like design work and marketing and a bunch of different things, but I had always loved coding. And so, uh, I saw that we had a tough time working with our web designer. Um, mm. and I thought, you know what, I can actually, I can do this better. Uh, I know I can do I can build a company that does better than he's doing. And I know how much we're paying him. It's a lot. Yeah. So I know, I know we can make this work. And so I went on my own and, and picked up several accounts just through contacts I had in my personal network. Um, mm. but kind of going back to your question about how it's changed, um, you know, there was the recession that happened and that right. definitely hit, hit construction very, very intensely because there was the housing uh, crisis that happened around that time. Yeah. So a lot of my, my clients just didn't have any money uh, or they went, went belly up at that point. But the ones who stuck around, they recognized the need to actually market themselves. You know, uh, they actually needed to go out there and get in front of people. So I continued to do websites. And um, I think in about 2010, I started working more on, on web apps rather than mm. websites. And then that quickly morphed into mobile apps in 2011, 2012. Right. Uh, that you know, in 2005, iPhones didn't exist. Yeah. It was a, it was just not a. You didn't build apps back then. Yep. But then uh, 2010, that had changed, and it was kind of app mania. Everybody wanted an app, and so I learned Objective C, and I started building I, iPhone apps. Um, and I was also hiring employees, and I was growing at that point. So uh, I had enough work to to bring in mostly junior developers, and I would teach them myself. My, myself, um, and uh, then that um, you know th that kind of matured. That market kind of matured, and uh, you know changed over the next few years. And in 2015, I was starting. This is about 10 years into me. I'm, yeah, 2015. Uh, it was 10 years into me. Uh, owning my own agency and I was starting to get a little burnt out uh, mm. because it was a lot of work it was a lot of um, it was very intense and because I was reinvesting everything back into the business to try to grow it um, you know it, it just felt like maybe this wasn't worth it in, in mm. terms of what I was getting out of it and I went and gave a talk 
actually in 2014 at a conference down in San Francisco, my first tech conference that I'd even been to, and I actually gave a talk there. And it was on a technology that I had created, um, open source. And I met uh, a guy there named Todd Worth, and he owned an agency that was similar to mine, but it was based in the Bay Area. And uh, we started talking over the next year and eventually decided that we had um, complementary skills. We had things that we really aligned on in terms of how we wanted to run our businesses. Right. And I was ready for a change. I needed something to change. I wasn't going to keep going the way that I was going. And, uh, and he was kind of in the same boat. So we merged our companies together in 2015 and that became the new Infinite Red. And uh, so now we've been running it for almost uh, five years together. Okay, very interesting. And I'm curious about the, the, the burnout that you mentioned. Was there anything yeah. in particular that was like sort of the reason for burnout? Was there any, or was it just like a conglomeration of all of the you know pressures and stresses that come along with running an agency? I'm just curious about whether yeah. there was like, maybe looking back, like, would you have done anything differently to try to have avoided that burnout or if that would have even been possible? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely, if I were to start over, I would have a lot more strategies to um, to do things differently. And I've been able to kind of pass that along to, <clears throat> to other people. My sister started a little agency, for example, um, doing WordPress websites, and I was able mm-hmm. to give her some, some ideas on how to avoid that. Um, for me, it was overwork. It was just working too much. I was I had a young family, and yeah. my wife would text me and be like, "Hey, it's ten o'clock p.m. Are you going to be coming home, or what's going yeah. on here?" You know, and that, that just got really tough on her. Yeah, it was tough on me. It was uh, my health suffered, and the, one of the big reasons I was working too much was I didn't I didn't really I didn't really know any different. I was a I was a hard worker when I started. Yeah. And that was one of the things that led to my early success was the ability to just outwork people. I was just sure. a really hard worker. And then when uh, the company got big enough, that no longer was sustainable. And yet I didn't realize it. I just thought, well, I need, I need to ramp up some more. Yeah. And so I was just pouring everything I had into it. Where, like, I, I would hire junior developers and then it would be on me to make sure that everything went well. So I was the lead uh, lead engineer on every project. Yeah. And uh, if we had three projects going, I was working on three projects, and I was also selling new projects, and I was you know managing, I was doing the finances, I was doing everything. Yeah. I was just taking on way too much. Um, when I merged with, with or well before that, I had hired some better employees, which helped. Like I shouldn't say better employees, more experienced employees. All of my right. employees were great; they were just inexperienced. But when I got to the level of hiring some more experienced ones, it started feeling really good. Like, okay, you know, this is this is better. But I still had like a lot of things that were on my plate. Hmm. Um, but when I merged with Todd's business, it by necessity I had to give up a lot of stuff hmm. because you know I wasn't going to be running everything anymore. We were we were equal partners. We had a third partner as well, which we've since bought out. But um, but we had a you know three three equal partnership and. Uh, so I had to give things up and like the, that first year just felt wonderful because I could actually go home on time. You know, right. I could, I could, uh, leave it up to very competent, more experienced than me. Todd's 10 years older than me. He's run three, three businesses, you know? Hmm. Um, so, you know, very, very experienced, uh, uh, entrepreneurs as well. And, um, that was just a huge relief. It made a big difference in my life. The, hmm. the burnout kind of 
went away and it allowed me to to continue to like reinvigorate myself huh yeah man this i I think it's like a a crucial issue for anyone running uh you know like a consultancy small agency medium-sized big agency i guess any agency really is this Mm -hmm. fact that like adding more like adding thinking that we can outwork uh everyone else infinitely is just not gonna not gonna happen right there's there's only so many hours in the day there's only so much energy you can put into your work and and that's something that i've experienced as well like you know i've i I, i've got kind of a one-man shop in terms of the consulting Mm -hmm. that i do i have some subcontractors that help me with various pieces but um you know, like I've, I've got one client that I, they're a great client and, and uh, very much an anchor client for me. But the project that I did for them initially was just like, mm-hmm. it had me working from like 8am till midnight, like for, for a year basically. And right. by the end of it, I was just like, I can't, you know, keep doing this for, <laughs> for very long. It's just not going to sustain. And, uh-huh. you know, like you, same situation, my wife would be asking me like, when am I in, yeah. in in this case, I was working from home, so it's like, when are you coming to bed? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and having a, a, our young daughter just around that time, that was you mm-hmm. know, of course, tough. So I think it's like, yeah. Anyway, so th- all that to say, there's there. I I took some similar similar lessons um, yeah. it, in my experience as well, and I think it's important for for anyone who's doing this kind, who's embarking upon this kind of thing, to realize that right. like you're never going to be able to just add more. Uh, energy to to your efforts and think that that's going to scale or get you through right. always, right? I mean, maybe for a right. while, but um, so I'm curious, maybe if you have any more uh, advice on on like what you can do to kind of flip the script there, because like it sounds like after the merger, things got easier, more maybe more systems in place, more things that were um, just structure wise helped you um, to to be a little bit more relaxed. Is there anything you'd advise people to look at early on if they're to go into consulting, if they're going to start a, an agency? What what are some things right. they can kind of do at the outset to try to avoid some of this stress that you and I have experienced? Yeah, totally. Well, I, I think the, the advice I gave my sister, uh, Meredith, was to realize that the company is there to work for you not the other Mm -hmm. way around and that was something i didn't realize for 10 years i didn't (laughs) understand for 10 years i thought i had a job i thought i had you know i had a boss Uh, right the the company was my boss i whatever it needed i would do sure and ultimately that's not the case that you're designing a machine that's working for you and whatever is not working for you design something different um mm-hmm. so for her she wanted to she wanted it to be kind of low stress she did not mm-hmm. want a high stress thing she didn't care about making it big she wanted to maybe have um one or two website projects going at a time she didn't want to do all the programming herself uh so we designed it in such a way where she could have part-time employees who maybe were some of her friends who wanted mm-hmm. to learn to code who also wanted a low stress job um who could maybe work three hours a day or something and they would learn to to do some wordpress programming and she would tell um she would tell you know clients coming in the door you're going to get a good deal because Mm -hmm. we're not going to charge a ton but it's also not going to be done fast and that Mm -hmm. the reason is because this is not my life you know i'm doing this uh, like she would be very upfront with with them about the time frame Mm -hmm. and um 
it has worked out well. She's been able to scale up and scale down based on where her life is at that at that moment. Um, and I think I've done that also with the new Infinite Red a little more, where it's like these particular things um, I'm not very good at. So rather than beat my head against it, let's get someone who is good at it available mm-hmm. to us. Um, an example of this is the legal stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, we, you, you have to negotiate contracts. You have to look at contracts. You have to read them, understand them. Um, these days, whenever I get an NDA to sign, and some people just refuse to, to sign them, which I understand, but we, we're, uh, we've not made that decision. We're, there's, you know, we've, we're, we're fine with it. So hmm. we'll take these NDAs and we'll just immediately send them over to our lawyer. Yeah, hmm. it's expensive, but you know what? I don't want to read it. I don't want to miss sure. something important. I just send it to him. He's generally getting back within a half hour. He just looks at it and says, fine, you know, sure. it's, it's good. And then, uh, and then I can sign it and move on. I don't have to like sit there and like spend an hour reading it and trying to figure out if I should yeah. sign this thing or not. Or why do you just worse yet, cur- not read it. Yeah. Out of curiosity, why, why do some refuse to sign NDAs? Uh, it's sort of a philo- philosophical thing where, um, they, they feel like it, um, uh, it reduces it, it puts you in a position where you don't have the ability to you know maybe talk about abuses um things oh, okay. that that happen within uh, you know i i've just heard this in the industry uh, yeah. where people say we don't sign ndas hmm. uh, i get it there's 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 some reasons for that um we've not it's not been a thing that's high on our radar right right makes sense so yeah i think that's great advice though is like just punt it to the person who can make the best best decision about such a thing mm-hmm. who has the most expertise in it and then you don't have to worry about it that's uh, just use money just use money to do it that's really yeah. what a business does is just yeah. like pay someone pay someone who's good we have yep. a marketing consultant too you know we 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 lean on her quite a bit and yep. it, yeah it costs us money but it's totally worth it we don't have to work worry about it yeah, yeah totally no that makes sense so i think that's great advice right like just focus on doing the things that you're your skill set is, you know, allowing you to do the best and and mm-hmm. and have that be your um, your focus. Are you yep. these days writing code most of your time, or are you doing management stuff? Like, what where does your um, I guess your day to day put you uh, these days? Yeah, so I spend a lot of my time in Slack. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm doing a lot of uh, and my in- email inbox. Um, so a lot of communication. Uh, I manage probably about 16 developers, uh, so I'm you know constantly talking with them. Luckily, we've set it up in such a way where most of the teams are self-managing to mm-hmm. some extent. Um, but I still need to stay in touch with them, ask them how they're doing. One of the things I try to do every week is send everybody a DM and say, what's your stress level, 0 to 10? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if someone comes in and says it's a seven, I say, okay, what are the drivers of, you know, primary drivers of that stress? And sometimes it's just something personal that's happening and that's fine. Yeah. Like, um, you know, it's not, not something at work, but sometimes it's something at work and sometimes it's something I can help with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really nice to just keep my finger on the pulse of stress levels across the company. company. Um, I also uh, handle our technical sales, which is most of our sales. Yeah. Uh, and so um, when a new lead comes in, someone will say, you know, hey, um, we're thinking about doing this project. Uh, we, uh, we heard about you somewhere, you know, maybe through our conference or something like that. And they want us, they want to typically talk to us. Uh, so I do a video call with them, just like we're doing here. And we, uh, you know, we, we talk about the project and, and then I, uh, 
uh, we come up with an estimate, send it over a proposal, send it over mm-hmm. to them, and do all the negotiation from there and get it get it signed and off to the races. So that does take quite a bit of my time because yeah. a company of 30-ish people uh, takes a lot of sales to, mm-hmm. to keep running. Um, yep. So I'm doing a lot of communication around that. Luckily, I have a great uh, sales coordinator um, who has been helping me with this, Missy. She's been fantastic. We hired her last year basically following my own advice of this isn't something I'm good at. It's taking a lot of my time, uh, bring in someone who is good at it. And she's been great. Um, she's not, uh, she's not as technical as I am. So that helps to have me in the room to, you know, talk to, talk to these people, but, but she can handle a lot of the communication that happens otherwise. Um, and I do, I do still do some coding primarily either, um, pairing with one of my engineers who needs help or uh, working on our open source. I did a lot of work on our, our open source last year. Not as much this year so far, but um, last night I actually built for myself, I built a, uh, a URL shortener uh, hmm. at my jamin.me domain. So cool. I can just, uh, from my terminal, I can type in shorten you know, something and then the URL and it will just automatically upload it and, and nice. it's, it's ready to go. So I, I like uh, challenging myself that way here and there. Still love coding. I wish I did more of it, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, and I guess that's that's probably a shared experience, I think, um, amongst those who found agencies. Eventually, they're going to end up in a position where they're doing more management than coding, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's possible to avoid that. Um, I, I've spoken with some that are in agencies where, like, maybe if it's a partnership, uh, type deal. <laughs> One of the partners just like refuses to do any kind of management. They they want to stick on coding, so they just like muscle their yeah. way into to sticking with it. But I mean, eventually you're going to you're going to need to do something, um, some kind of management. I wonder if you have any um, any experiences you can share where like maybe you you did something management wise that like was maybe maybe a flub of some sort. And and the reason I ask is that like I I've spent time. Um, in a previous life and previous work that I've done working for government, um, managing a team of six. And I, I discovered shortly after starting that job, the first real job that I had where I was like truly managing people, that I, I wasn't a very good manager um, for a number of reasons. Like I just, um, at the time anyway, I, I'm sure I, I, I would be able to take some lessons from it and apply some, you know, change. But like, I was far too interested in like just having heads down in like technical work, uh, far too interested in, in solving people's problems for them. Like there was this one experience I mm-hmm. had where one of my employees, like she was taking forever to do something and I saw an opportunity for me to script something and I basically built her a button to, to do it. And uh, she's super upset with me about the whole thing. And I came to found it, find out like down the line that like, it just wasn't a very good thing for me to do because I was basically taking away her autonomy over the situation, yeah. right? That was that was yeah. um, that was a big flub on my part. Anyway, so all that to say, like I found out I I wasn't that great at, at doing that job. Maybe I'd be better now, but I, I worry about like if I grow my small consultancy into an agency. I wonder if I'll repeat some of these mistakes that managers can make. So I'm just wondering if any lessons learned that you've had uh, management-wise. I think my experience is very similar to yours in that way, where I was very much a problem solver. I was a, I was the type of person who definitely would just get an idea in my head and I would just go after it. And I, you know, I'm very opportunistic. I'm fast. I learn things very quickly. Yeah. And so I would just kind of come in as a whirlwind, and just like boom, boom, boom. I'm going to fix this. You know. Yep. 
and it worked fine when I had a bunch of junior developers who wanted that. Um, when it started changing and I started, you know, when we did the merger and I had a lot more um, senior developers, it, it, yeah, just the dynamics changed and my role changed. Um, and nowadays, uh, it, it's weird because to me, like, it feels like something that, yeah, 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 I should probably do that. That doesn't seem like super important, but maybe I should the idea of going around and just talking to people just talking to them like yeah. like saying what what are your experiences what are your pain points right now what what things do you think we could do dif- differently like that to me just seemed like something you should probably do if you get some extra spare time you yeah. know like uh, otherwise it just takes away from working that's not the case right. it ends up being the first step you start there like you immediately start there even if you have in your mind like a perfect solution for the whole thing it's like perfect like yeah just all you have to do is do it you stop you take a deep breath you go and you talk to each person without like shoving it down their throat but you just ask them like what are your pain points what's working what's not working um and in the course of doing that more often than not i've figured out that my perfect solution is probably not so perfect Mm -hmm. uh it's perfect for the the perspective that i had at the time but i lacked certain perspectives i lacked certain contexts that i really needed um so a manager often one of their big things is being able to gather the context from all the different points that people don't have mm-hmm. and then from that position of knowledge be able to bring in something that will work better for everybody now not going to be able to make everybody happy right. for sure um but by gaining all the perspectives at least you know who you're making unhappy yeah. <laughs> yes, and you yeah. can you can make that you can acknowledge it to them you can say i understand this is not going to solve your problem However, based on the things that I've learned from other people, this is going to solve a lot of their problems. And usually people will understand that. Like if you come in with that knowledge, they'll, they'll, they'll back off. They'll be like, oh, okay, well, at least you, yeah. you understand. You, even though you're not solving my problem, you do understand that I have a problem and you're just doing the best you can within that context. Uh, so gathering that context is just super, super important. Um, now for me, like making a decision and moving forward isn't a big deal because that's just my personality. I'm going to do it. Uh, but if your personality as a manager is more on the other side where going out and finding everybody's feelings about things and, and understanding their pain points is actually the thing that is more natural to you, great. But you do still need to make a decision. You do still need to move forward with it. You do still need to lead. You still right. need to be a leader. Um, and so I think at that point you say, okay, I've heard all of the discussion. Let's move forward with this. One thing that helps is to say we're going to run an experiment. Hmm. I'm going to bring in this new guideline this new policy this new process whatever we're going to do this for two months and then you're all going to get a chance to tell me what you think of it Hmm. and so you time box it you time box it and you set a reminder on the calendar and you Hmm. tell everybody what that is and then tell everybody please just give it your your best shot like you know do the best so um recently we had uh we had a, a question about like we have a lot of stuff that's in slack that just kind of like scrolls away Hmm. um and it's like we're losing our knowledge base right right um so can we build something or can we have something that will collect kind of like today i learned type stuff um you know how did we approach these things maybe policies and guidelines and put them all in one place so i talked to everybody and then uh we started building our own thing but then i realized that um 
someone was using Notion, which is uh, like a note-taking app, and it seemed to fit a lot of the features that we wanted. So mm-hmm. I told the team, you know what, let's run a 30-day experiment with Notion. We're going to get everybody set up with it. Um, we're going to just run this experiment. At the end of the 30 days, we're going to ask you what you think. And we did that, and at the end of the 30 days, everybody said, yeah, it's pretty good. It'll it'll do the job. Mm-hmm. And so we adopted it, and we're moving forward. Decisions are, are temporary, so if down the road... Um, something much better comes along we may run another experiment and see how it goes but just running it in that kind of collaborative way but also having the leadership to be able to say this is what we're going to do in this experiment and then at the end of the leadership or uh, the experiment you know getting the feedback and then implementing it um that's to me that's the type of advice that i wish i had known back when i first started really getting employees it would have really helped me a lot interesting yeah that makes sense i think from my experience I think likely what I, because I, I remember having like um, this mindset where I'm like, okay, I should, re- you know, I should get opinions from everybody. I should let everybody be heard. Like especially if there's mm-hmm. a decision that needs to be made uh, as a group, for example. Um, but I think maybe what I lacked that I I, I should have uh, have done better. Maybe I I do that better in the future. Is like when a decision is made kind of you know putting my foot down more or less and saying okay Mm. we're gonna we're gonna go this direction and we you know we can maybe circle back later but right you know there's no more discussion about it at this point we're we're going to go this direction especially the staff that i had i found were Mm -hmm. very and it it was a it was a setting that was very conducive to this being the government where everybody like you know half of their day is spent kind of arguing on these kind of fine points anyway so like they 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 were all about that uh i digress but anyway i i think where i maybe lacked was was what you have have suggested there is like yeah. set a direction knowing it's a temporary decision but that you can yeah. come up come back to you later but but you know go yeah. in a direction and, and, and lead that way so yeah. that's uh that's i think that's sage advice um love to switch gears and, and chat about some of the other stuff that you do as part of the company um you mentioned open source is a big part of it um as is a conference you've got chain react conf um <clears throat> talk to me about open source what is it that you do open source wise what are some of the libraries you've got out there that people can check out and uh talk to me also about how it it helps the business uh in terms of like marketing if it does or what you have found uh to be a a good aspect of uh, open source business wise yeah totally i i think uh, i will always have a fun place in my heart for open source because it um, it was sort of my gateway to the larger just tech world in general. Mm-hmm. Um, back in 2010, I started doing Ruby on Rails. It was open source, but I wasn't contributing. Before that, I was doing a lot of PHP, and I wasn't doing any open source beyond you know using some things. Um, but Ruby on Rails was a little bit of a gateway drug there, and then I started doing like little. I I helped someone with a Ruby library that was pretty cool. When I started doing iOS, I started helping people with with iOS uh, native libraries. And, you know, people were just so nice. Like, you would submit a patch and people would be so cool about it. And uh, then I got a from some open source that I created and put out into the world and blogged about. I got a bunch of people interested in that. And then I got a, a, a conference invite. Uh, to to come talk and that kind of just opened up everything for me um so for me like personally speaking open source was definitely like a gateway to the broader world of of you know i wasn't really active on twitter it was more it was more about being uh active in open source Hmm. um 
and so it was also like I connected over open source with Todd, my my co-founder, and and uh, Gant Laborde, who's uh, our third owner now. Um, and so for all three of us, it was pretty impactful. So it made sense that when we built Infinite Red, that we would lean pretty heavily into open source. We built stuff together that we put out there, and it was started out as Ruby stuff. We started doing a lot more JavaScript stuff once we moved over to React and React Native. Hmm. Um, and one of the big things that we did was a thing called Ignite. It's a CLI and boilerplate for React Native projects. It's still probably, I think it's, it's it's almost uh, almost certainly the most uh, widely used boilerplate for React hmm. Native in the world cool. for sure. Um, and uh, there's there are others out there, but they're just not as maintained. Um, and it's uh, so there's Ignite. the The current boilerplate that goes with Ignite is called Bowser. Uh, and Bowser is basically a um, it's uh, it's React Native, but it also includes MobX State Tree for state management. It has TypeScript built in. Uh, React Navigation is the navigation library. So we kind of pulled all these things together, glued them together in a really nice CLI, and uh, and have been maintaining it ever since. Uh, we also built a desktop debugging app called Reactatron. Hmm. Uh, Reactatron is really cool. It's probably I would say it's the most, um, uh, probably the most popular non-standard um, uh, debugging app that is used on React Native projects. Allows you to in- inspect your state, whether it's in Redux or Mobic State Tree. Um, it lets you uh, see logs and, and timelines of, of events. Um, you can run custom commands in your code. So if you needed to like. You're in, you need to get your app into a certain state and get ready to do something. You just hit the, hit a button in, in the app and it just brings you there. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of your, your companion. And that's that's an Electron app that we built. Um, and we have a number of other things too. Um, I, I maintain a thing called uh, Gluegun. It's, um, mm. it's like a node CLI library, sort of like Commander um, or uh, Yeoman. Uh, so it's it's kind of in between those two in terms of feature set, and uh, that's a pretty fun one to work on. Um, and our and Ignite is built on that. Uh, the, interestingly, AWS Amplify's CLI was originally built on it, and then oh. it's so gigantic <laughs> that they eventually like customized it so much that you can't really call it glue gun anymore. Right. But you go and look at it and still a lot of the architecture is very, very glue gun-esque uh, the <laughs> way that they've built it. But it's a giant thing. It, glue gun was never intended for that size of a CLI. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, so they had to do some things to, to get uh, get it to scale to that level. Um, but it's it's still a really awesome CLI framework. So uh, those are the main things I, I spend my time doing as far as open source. But I'm pretty eclectic. I like to jump into a lot of different things. I've yeah. built some Elixir, uh, open source, of course, still Ruby, whatnot. Cool. That's awesome. And do you like have a lot of your client pipeline come through open source? Uh, is that a driver for work for the business? It, it was in the beginning, for sure, in 2015, 2016, even to some extent 2017. And the reason for that was uh, React Native was still new. Uh, mm-hmm. It came out in 2015. And uh, people needed ways to get started with React Native, and Ignite was the best way to do that. Um, now that React Native has matured a little bit, there are a lot more people who have used React Native for years now. Um, it's less of a driver for us, uh, so we're finding other ways to market. 
Uh, but it was definitely a big deal for us uh, at the time. We still get occasional projects that come through Ignite, uh, but the uh, sort of return on investment has dropped a little bit. Gotcha. Makes sense. What about uh, conference-wise? Chain React Conf. Maybe even give the pitch for uh, Chain React Conf and uh, tell us what it's all about. Yeah, totally. So we started uh, Chain React. Uh, I think I came up with the idea in 2016. We had been doing React Native for a while, and I asked on Twitter, "Hey, what's a good React Native conference to go to?" And I got nothing. Like mm-hmm. nobody responded. And so I thought about it for a while, and then I came back to my team and said, "Hey, what if we put on a conference right here in Portland?" And it was there was a lot of support for it we put the first one on in 2017 um and we had speakers from you know all all kinds of big companies and we had good sponsors and it ended up being a big success and so it is the only react native conference in the u.s in terms of solely focused on react native there are other conferences that have react native tracks but React, uh, Chain React is the only one that totally focuses on React Native. Hmm. Um, we have speakers, you know, from Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, um, Netflix. You know, we even had a speaker from Google last year. There are just constant, like, like big companies. I think the NFL, the NFL when they were at um, uh, Chain React, their team was at Chain React, released their React Native uh, rebuild of the NFL app That's cool. uh, while they were at Chain React, which is <laughs> really cool. Um, you know, we're a small, small team, you know, 30 people, and but Chain React is our way of having a big impact on the world yeah. uh, and bringing all those people together. And one of the coolest things that ever comes out of Chain React is when we hear about people getting jobs there. Mm. Um, you know, the, they're new to, to React Native. They want to check it out. They go there. They they get a, a lead, a, a contact that turns into a job. Um, there was one person who came one year as a brand new developer, like a, a junior level developer looking for a job, and came back the next year with a React Native job as a speaker and gave uh-huh. a talk, which was super cool. Um, so all these different experiences as a remote team we don't get a chance to interact in person all that often so chain react becomes kind of a our super bowl where we're there like really like have to be on point and and do our do our thing i've really really enjoyed it it's been fantastic this year i think it'll be uh just as big or or bigger than the other years it's going to be uh same same uh location but a little bit later in july so hopefully it may be a little different um group of people can make it there and uh we already have lots of interest from big companies um including uh potentially uh, one of the newest kind of big announcements was shopify was moving to react native so Mm. we're working with them to hopefully get their engineers there and maybe get a talk awesome that's really cool. Shopify is near, near and dear to my heart, uh, being in Ottawa. Um, that's that's uh, right. They're, they're the the local darling company, um, <laughs> the, the darling yeah. of Canada. In fact, they're they're really Shopify is well. a great yeah. yeah, it's a great product. Uh, we, we've Absolutely. built Shopify websites, you know, very complex ones. Uh, it's more than just a mom and pop shore, uh, store type of uh, yeah. system. You can build totally. pretty complex stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, it gets really uh, really complex. Um, I, I just had Kelly Vaughn on the podcast, and she was telling oh, me yeah. about her uh, 
experience with you know being a Shopify, I forget what it is, Shopify Pro or Shopify mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, yeah, and just the the enormity of of what what Shopify offers. So that's cool that they're moving to React Native and that you've got uh, you know some hand in getting them out to that conference. Um, so Absolutely. we'll link that up. It's happening in July. You said we're we're that's talking right. in twenty twenty, early twenty twenty. So this yes. is happening July twenty twenty. Um, and I will uh, link folks there. What's the the URL though? You just go to cr.infinite.red or chainreact.infinite.red. Um, okay. They both go the same place, uh, but that will bring you right there. Uh, it is July 29th and 30th of 2020. We have uh, workshops on the 28th as well, and I am teaching one uh, that is going to be native coding for React Native developers. So basically okay. it allows uh, a React Native developer who has never maybe done native coding to come in and get a little bit more comfortable working within Objective-C and Java uh, for their projects. So cool. uh, we, we did native coding for a long time, so I think that we're uniquely positioned to do that type of workshop. That's great. Very cool. Um, sweet. Well, that's you know uh, probably a good note to start wrapping up on. I, I wanted to chat maybe um, just on one thing before we do wrap up. It's something that I think might be good advice for those looking to build an agency if maybe they haven't started yet or if they're kind of at a small point, they want to get bigger. What's Because I've talked to a lot of agency owners um, about what their challenges are. And, and one of the, uh, I guess, most common things that I hear is cash flow is a challenge, mm. which I think probably yeah. is true in any business. I mean, that's not that's not something unique to, uh, to agencies that offer software development services. But um, what's your advice if you've got any about cash flow, maybe something as it pertains to the kind of agencies that uh, listeners of this podcast might be wanting to start or grow. Any any advice you've got um, in terms of cash flow management or just how to weather yeah. things? That's really good timing on your part to ask this question. Uh, we just came out with a new episode of our podcast, Building Infinite Red, okay. that uh, deals specifically with with cash flow. But um, and and I'll I'll give you the link so you can put it in the show notes. Cool, we'll do. Um, but one of the big things I think is. Um, you really need to focus on uh, how you structure your terms uh, in terms, of course, being when your clients are expected to pay you and how often. Hmm. Um, so, for example, weekly net 15 means that every week you send them an invoice and then 15 days later they need to pay you. Right. Uh, and so you may have two or three uh, outstanding invoices and you need to cover that exposure and that exposure being if they didn't pay you and you stopped working, how much would they owe you and that you wouldn't make? Right. Um, and uh, so you can do that via, you know, deposits, for example. Um, you can cover it with legal means, meaning you can sue them. However, if you sue them, you need to be able to recoup the year of your life that you're going to spend trying yeah. to, to get the money back. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there are a number of different ways that you can do this. Um, but the big one is to make sure you have good terms and that you enforce them and that you make sure that you stay on top of your accounts receivable, people that owe you money. So when, um, you know, we had a situation years ago, for example, where uh, we found out that um, a client we'd been doing a bunch of work for hadn't paid us in four months. Wow. Um, we weren't paying attention. Okay. <laughs> our accountant, our bookkeeper was sending uh, invoices and we weren't getting the money. And so 
turns out they had switched accounting software and everything was like screwed up on their end huh. and they had just totally it wasn't like intentional but they had just through kind of almost incompetence not right. not gotten it processed it ended up taking another month before we got everything back um, and that's tough on uh, you know imagine like one of your big projects like not paying you for five months that's a big big blow yeah. it can take down a company even though you've been profitable you know air quotes profitable uh, the whole time that can be a real really Really, really big drag. But yeah, we did a whole episode on it. Definitely uh, check cool. it out. I would love to check that out and we'll definitely link it up. Um, so thank you for that. Um, well, man, this has been a blast. I, I'm really glad we got to sit down and, and chat through this stuff. Uh, I think it's going to be super useful for uh, folks who want to do similar things to, to what you're doing. Um, maybe before we go, where can people find you personally online? Yeah, you can uh, find me jaminholmgren.com. That's my website. You can also go uh, on Twitter at jaminholmgren just my first and last name and uh that's generally where i where i spend my time i'm also the same on on github sweet okay i will link that up um and i will link up everything else like uh the conference chain react conf your episode on cash flow um etc so yeah once again thank you so much um let's keep in touch maybe we can do a round two at some point in the future and uh, until then i'll chat with you online i'd love that thanks a lot ryan really appreciate it Thank you once again so much for tuning in to the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. This has been episode 25 with Jamin Holmgren. You can find show notes with the links to all the resources that Jamin mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow along on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you would like to subscribe, you can go to ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review. Until next time, happy hacking.